I've seen a lot of change, been through a lot of pain. Some things are not the same as they were a year ago. But all will be okay. I move on each and every day. The past is where it stays. Way back a year ago. First of all, I wish to give an account of the attack and tell of the famous incident of July 1924 when the hairy apes attacked our cabin. We had been prospecting for six years in the Mount St. Helens and Lewis River area in southwest Washington. We had, from time to time, come across large tracks by creek beds and springs. In 1924 I and four other miners were working our gold claim, the Vander White. It was two miles east of Mount St. Helens near a deep canyon now named Ape Canyon, which was so named after an account of the incident reached the newspapers. Hank, a great hunter and good woodsman, was always a little apprehensive after seeing the tracks. The tracks were large and we knew that no known animal could have made them, the largest measured 19 inches long. It was in the middle of July, and we had received a good assay on our claim, and everyone was excited. I remember I had a tooth that was aching, and I suggested to Hank that he should take me to town to see a dentist, but he was so enthused in the prospects of the gold mine, he barely took time to answer me. He replied that God or the devil could not get him away from there. We had all come up in his Ford, and I had no way to get to town unless he took me. So when we went back to our cabin, on the north side of the canyon, I had a nagging toothache and little appetite for our evening meal of beans and hotcakes. Hank, though apprehensive, was still determined. We had been hearing noises in the evening for about a week. We heard a shrill, peculiar whistling each evening. We would hear it coming from one ridge, and then hear an answering whistling from another ridge. We also heard a sound which I could best describe as a booming, thumping sound, just like something was hitting itself on its chest. Hank asked me to accompany him to the spring, about a hundred yards from our cabin, to get some water, and suggested we take our rifles, to be on the safe side. We walked to the spring, and then, Hank yelled and raised his rifle, and at that instant, I saw it. It was a hairy creature, and he was about a hundred yards away, on the other side of a little canyon, standing by a pine tree. It dodged behind the tree, and poked its head out from the side of the tree. And at the same time, Hank shot. I could see the bark fly out from the tree from each of his three shots. Someone may say that that was quite a distance to see the bark fly, but I saw it. The creature I judged to have been about seven feet tall with blackish-brown hair. It disappeared from our view for a short time, but then we saw it, running fast and upright, about 200 yards down the little canyon. I shot three times before it disappeared from view. We took the water back to the cabin, and explained the affair to the rest of the party, and we all agreed, including Hank, to go home the next morning as it would be dark before we could get to the car. We agreed it would be unsound to be caught by darkness on the way out. Nightfall found us in our pine log cabin. We had built the cabin ourselves, and had made it very sturdy. It stood for years afterward, and was visited by many sightseers until a few years ago when it was burned to the ground, the circumstances of the fire, I do not recall. In the cabin, we had a long bunk bed in which two could sleep, feet to feet, the rest of us sleeping on pine boughs on the floor. At one end of the cabin, we had a fireplace, fashioned out of rocks. There were no windows in the cabin. So darkness found all of us in the cabin, more calm now, and my tooth was better, somehow the excitement seemed to work a temporary cure on it. We were sitting around, puffing on pipes, and talking about the trip home the next day. Each of us settled down in his crude, but welcomed bed, and soon fell asleep. About midnight, we were all awakened. Hank, who was sleeping on the floor was yelling and kicking. But the noise that had awakened us was a tremendous thud against the cabin wall. Some of the chinking had been knocked loose from between the logs and had fell across Hank's chest. He had his rifle in his hand and was waving it back and forth as he kicked and yelled. Hank always slept with his gun nearby, it was a Remington automatic, 
my gun being a 30 to 30 Winchester, which I still have. I helped to get the chinking off him, and he jumped to his feet. Then, we heard a great commotion outside. It sounded like a great number of feet trampling and rattling over a pile of our unused shakes. We grabbed our guns. Hank squinted through the space left by the chinking. By actual count, we saw only three of the creatures together at one time, but it sounded like there were many more. This was the start of the famous attack, of which so much has been written in Washington and Oregon papers throughout the years. Most accounts tell of giant boulders being hurled against the cabin, and say some even fell through the roof, but this was not quite the case. There were very few large rocks around in that area. It is true that many smaller ones were hurled at the cabin, but they did not break through the roof, but hit with a bang, and rolled off. Some did fall through the chimney of the fireplace. Some accounts state I was hit in the head by a rock and knocked unconscious. This is not true. The only time we shot our guns that night was when the creatures were attacking our cabin. When they would quiet down for a few minutes, we would quit shooting. I told the rest of the party, that maybe if they saw we were only shooting when they attacked, they might realize we were only defending ourselves. We could have had clear shots at them through the opening left by the chinking had we chosen to shoot. We did shoot, however, when they climbed up on our roof. We shot round after round through the roof. We had to brace the hewed log door with a long pole taken from the bunk bed. The creatures were pushing against it and the whole door vibrated from the impact. We responded by firing many more rounds through the door. They pushed against the walls of the cabin as if trying to push the cabin over. But this was pretty much an impossibility, as previously stated the cabin was a sturdy made building. Hank and I did most of the shooting, the rest of the party crowded to the far end of the cabin, guns in their hands. One had a pistol, which still is in my family's possession, the others clutched their rifles. They seemed stunned and incredulous. The attack continued the remainder of the night, with only short intervals between. A most profound and frightening experience occurred when one of the creatures, being close to the cabin, reached an arm through the chinking space and seized one of our axes by the handle, a much-written-about incident and a true one. Before the thing could pull the axe out, I swiftly turned the head of the axe upright, so that it caught on the logs, and at the same time Hank shot, barely missing my hand. The creature let go, and I pulled the handle back in, and put the axe in a safe place. A humorous thing I well remember was Hank singing, If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone, and we'll all go home in the morning. He did not mean it to be humorous, for Hank was dead serious, and sang under the impression that the mountain devils as he called them, might understand and go away. The attack ended just before daylight, just as soon as we were sure it was light enough to see, we came cautiously out of the cabin. It was not long before I saw one of the ape-like creatures, standing about 80 yards away near the edge of Ape Canyon. I shot three times, and it toppled over the cliff, down into the gorge, some 400 feet below. Then Hank said that we should get out of there as soon as possible, and not bother to pack our supplies or equipment out, after all, he said, it's better to lose them, than our lives. We were all only too glad to agree. We brought out only that which we could get in our pack sacks. We left about $200 in supplies, powder, and drilling equipment behind. I tried to persuade everyone not to relate the happenings to anyone, and they agreed, but Hank soon let the cat out of the bag. We made our way to Spirit Lake, and Hank went into the ranger station. He had told the ranger earlier about the tracks, and the ranger had replied, let me know if you find out what they are. That was just what Hank did to the puzzlement of the ranger. When we were back home in Kelso, Washington, he told some of his friends, and somehow the story leaked out to the papers, and the great hairy ape hunt of 1924 was on. Local reporters interviewed us. They came from Portland and Seattle. Even a big game hunter from England came asking questions, and he had a large gun with him that must have been an elephant gun. Many people flocked to the Mount, St. Helens area looking for the great hairy apes, or mountain devils. I, myself, went back with two reporters and a detective from Portland, Oregon. We found large tracks, and they photographed them. 
We did not see any of the ape men then, nor could we find the ones we had shot. So people were asking questions. Was it true? Or was it just a wild tale? I can assure you it is true. Are they human? Animal? Or devils? I will answer that question in this book. That was a great ape hunt in 1924, and the last few years, more and more people have reported seeing them. There is an ape hunt being revived again, and another man has written a book on the subject and has formed a club whose purpose is to find evidence to prove what they already believe, that abominable snowmen of America do exist. A wealthy person has offered a large sum of money for anyone that can capture one alive. Sightings have been reported in Canada, Washington, Oregon, and Northern California. But the purpose of this book, is not only to relate my experiences, but also to bring to light my knowledge about the abominable snowmen. I do not wish to embark upon an expedition, but I wish to tell what these beings are. Just to add, I have found that most Indians know more about abominable snowmen than one white man in a thousand. After the incident of 1924 I visited a dentist to have a tooth pulled. It was a little town in eastern Washington. As I was coming out of the dentist office a man came up to me and asked, are you the man who I read about in the papers who was attacked by eight men? I told him I was. Could you come with me? He asked. There is someone who would like to talk with you. He took me to a tavern where he introduced me to 10 or 12 Yakima Indians. They wanted to make sure I was the man, and when they were, and after asking me some questions, they told me about the Salatics, the name by which they knew the abominable snowmen. They said the Indians knew about them, but white men never believed the tales of Indians. They said they were very careful never to go where they knew them to be, and if they ever found themselves in their presence they were doubly careful not to offend them. If you ever harm one, they will get even, one Indian said. They never forget. They told me the Salatics migrated into Canada, and in fact traveled the mountain ranges nearly to Mexico. One of their favorite methods of traveling was floating down rivers at night, like logs. They told tales about them running away with squaws. When I asked them what they were, they replied, not like a man and not like a spirit, but in between. One Indian, who must have been pretty well educated, said, they have not come out of evolution. With all the profound sightings reported it is probable that many sightings remain unreported. A friend of mine was fishing, he strung a number of trout on a stick and laid them on a rock. He walked downstream and waded out into the river to continue his fishing. A little later he looked back and saw one of the hairy creatures picking up his string of fish. He was thrashing them against the rock. Some other friends were camped in the area. One morning they awoke to find their firewood scattered along the trail, for a quarter mile. Once a friend and his wife saw an ape man on the main road leading to Spirit Lake. Washington. He looked as though he was basking in the afternoon sun about 70 yards from the road. When his wife saw it, she began screaming. Then, my friend said, the thing just got up and walked away. I have told of my past experiences, and have tried to explain about the present sightings. What does the future hold regarding the phenomenon of abominable snowmen? Perhaps some psychic will enter into their investigation. He will probably keep records and have reliable witnesses to observe his work and to report his findings to the world. Sightings of abominable snowmen have been reported at various times from every major continent. They were of different appearances and sizes and the records of them date back many years. Is there an interrelated race of these beings awaiting their proper day of evolution? I am of the opinion that evolution is not only a law of the material world, but also the law of all the worlds we cannot perceive by the medium of our five senses. Everything seen and unseen is life and all life is progressive and changing. Are these beings even now evolving by stages into a higher consciousness? Could they? indeed, be the missing link between man and the anthropoid? A link between material life and immaterial life? Will these beings who are wandering the earth today, and who present a weird image to us now, someday, some distant age from now, evolve into the noble ranks of human intelligence? The answer to these questions cannot be answered by expeditions. 
It can only come by man knowing more about his true self and more about the universe in which he dwells. Science has reached near perfection in material knowledge, but has reached the borderland through which no finite intellect can pass. All life can be studied, but man will have to look into himself to tap a spiritual power and realize the spiritual laws and reason with a spiritual mind. Man will have to break the little material shell he is around himself, which says this far you can only go and there is nothing more. What is outside that shell is pure life and it is even above and of an higher order than material life, though material and spiritual life would work in harmony if we would let it work. I have lived this experience with abominable snowmen. I have encountered them on the slopes of Mount. St. Helens. I have looked deep into myself to tell you of their nature. I have had both the earthly experience of encountering them by Ape Canyon, and the spiritual experience of knowing and telling what they are. I have walked through the messy cliffs of Ape Canyon, and seen a primeval loneliness, reminiscent of life as it must have been years ago. I have explored the distant future which beckons to us with hope. I have told you my story and it is true. Abominable snowmen are a part of the creation. Will we hear much more from them? Will their habitat change from selected mountains to nearer our populous cities? I think they will. They are just one little mystery from the ocean of mysteries. Okay, dear listener, that about wraps it up for now. My name is Jerry Matthews. You can reach me at yellowcoyote at talus.net. Thank you for your interest, and until the next time, keep searching. Keep searching.